this morning we're going to be reading uh, Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 uh, to 29. You can follow along um, either in the, Bible, uh, in the Bibles you can grab from the back, um, on your phones or on the screen behind me. Revelation chapter 2, starting at verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. I will also give that one to the morning star. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, hello again, friends. Uh, as I said, my name is Scott. I'm the pastor here, and it's um, my privilege to be able to talk about this passage from the Bible. Let me start by um, asking uh, this, this show here. Anyone seen this show? It's called The Responder. You've seen it, Luke? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not been a very big show, not been a very popular show. I only found out about it because my parents watched it, and they really enjoyed it. Um, one thing I remember about this show was it's people speak in English, but Dad said, if you're going to go watch this, put the subtitles on, because these people, they, they come from the north of England. I cannot understand a thing they were saying. Um, but the show is about this old, the older cop there, Chris, the, the guy. Um, and it's really about a, a, a week that, where he spends on, on night duty. Uh, and he gets paired up with a, a new rookie, Rachel. Uh, Chris doesn't like this pairing. He prefers to do things on his own. And as the show goes on, you realize why he prefers to do things on his own. It's because, because a lot of the stuff he does is not strictly legal. Um, so there he is with this new rookie, Rachel. And when she joins him for this week of night shifts, it's quite difficult for her. because She's just come out of the academy. She wants to do everything by the book. She wants to do what is right. But slowly throughout the week with Chris, she gets kind of dragged into his world and dragged into the way that he does things until there's stuff that she's not okay to do, but she's just in too deep with him to get out. That's a little bit like what's happening with the church in Thyatira. There they are, surrounded by a, 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 a pagan culture, and they've found themselves in too deep with the culture around them. So at church here, we are going through this series in Revelation. We've called it Dear Church because we're looking at seven letters. These are, these are seven letters, um, words from Jesus to seven ancient churches. These churches all around the Roman province called Asia, but think not uh, the Philippines, but modern-day Turkey. 
Uh, and today we're at the church in Thyatira. So let me start by asking, what is Thyatira like? What's the city like? Well, actually, if, if I'm honest with you, this is a town that we don't know a whole lot about. Um, today it lies underneath the Turkish city of Akisar. Now, I probably pronounced that completely wrong, but th- there is Akisar. And because Akisar is an active city, there's people living there. They, because that's the case, they haven't dug up the remains of Thyatira, which are underneath the city in you can imagine the 100,000 or so people who live in Akasa are really happy that they haven't dug it up. Um, so we don't know a whole lot about this place, Thyatira, but here's one thing we do know. It was a place where there were lots of ancient trade guilds. Now, what's an ancient trade guild? What are they? Well, don't go thinking, you know, secret society like the Freemasons or the stonecutters from The Simpsons. That's not what we're on about. The, the trade guilds, they're a group of people, and they're all from pretty much the one city or the one area, and they all had the same trade. They all did the same kind of thing. For example, there was a wool workers' trade for everyone who worked with wool, or, or a linen workers' trade, or a guild for people who, who dyed materials and sold them, a guild for people who made stuff with leather, and so on and so on. And these are really important, because if you lived in the city of Thyatira, and if you wanted to sell, you know, woolen things, clothes and socks and whatever, well, you had to be part of the Wool Workers Guild. Or if you wanted to dye material for people in nice colours and then go and sell that to them, well, then you had to be part of the Dyers Guild. And again, on and on and on it went. So you can see, these trade guilds are a very important part of life. If, if you want to be successful in business, basically you've got to be part of one. You need to join up. But the question is, what does it cost you to join up? Let me leave that one hanging there for a moment. That, that's the city of Thyatira. Uh, but what about the church in Thyatira? What do we know about the church in Thyatira? Well, in many ways, things are going great, aren't they? Uh, I mean, as, as it was read out, as Indy read out, did, did you check, check out again verse 19. Did you hear? This is what Jesus says about them. He says, I know your deeds, your love and faith your service and perseverance, and that you're now doing more than you did at first. This sounds like a really great church to be part of, doesn't it? Um, Here's a bunch of people who are loving each other, people who are full of faith, who, who serve each other, and who've persevered with each other through difficult things. And they're also making progress. He says they're doing now, do, doing more now than they did at first. Sounds like a great church. But, you knew that but was coming, right? But they had a problem. Let me explain. Uh, I, I read one commentator this week, and I'll put his quote up on the screen here. This is what he said. Every generation of Christians must face the question, How far should I accept and adopt contemporary standards and practices? That is, times change, right? And and cultures change. But as they do, Christian believers need to keep asking, well, how much can I just be like everyone else? How much can I accept what my society does and join in with them? And, And then where do I need to stop and be different? Put it in other words, where does the gospel call me to be unlike my fellow Australians? 
And that's the question the, the people in Thyatira had to wrestle with. How much were they willing to do what everyone else around them was doing? And how much did they need to stand apart and be different? Because you see, joining a trade guild made good business sense. Without it, you'd probably have a business that fails. But if you do, what does it cost? If you join them, what does that mean? Well, it meant joining them. It, joining them meant you had to join in with what they did. And it seems like joining a trade guild was more than just signing your name to a piece of paper. It seems like it also involved taking part in certain uh, feasts. Feasts that weren't just a, a meal at a table, but feasts to idols, feasts to other gods. It also seems like sometimes these feasts could end in, how do you put this, um, end in times of sexual looseness. That's what's going on inside Tyre. And so this is the real live question for the people in the church. What do they do here? Well, along comes a prophet to the city then. Or at least, that's what she calls herself. And she says, no, no, it's okay to join these trade guilds, even if it means taking part in the idol feast, even if it means sexual immorality. And the real problem here, though, is not that she's teaching these things. The real problem in the church is that her teaching is tolerated. Have a look at verse 20 with me again. Jesus says to the church, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Now, her name there, Jezebel, that's probably not her real name, it's, but it's, it's, it's a reference back to the Old Testament. It's in the Old Testament, there was a queen called Jezebel. And she was famous for worshipping idols. And she led God's people away to worship idols too. So it's appropriate that this false prophet be called by that name because that's exactly what she's doing. Her teaching is leading people to worship idols, worship these other gods. And so rather than standing out as different now, here are these believers who are doing just what everyone else around them is doing. And they've adopted this part of the culture into their lives. Remember that question from before? You know, every generation of Christians need to ask, how far will I accept and just be involved in with what my culture does? And where does Jesus call me to be different? As we read this letter to the, uh, to the, to the people in Thyatira, all these years later, it's really easy for us to look back on that but to look back on them and, and, and wonder how they got it so wrong, right? Like This one, in some ways, just seems so easy for us, doesn't it? it? Of course, we shouldn't be taking part in idol feasts. No, no, no. Of, of course, sexual immorality is wrong. We, we, we know that. Why, why was it such a big issue for them? But that's the challenge, isn't it? Every different generation has to figure out what it is in their culture, what they're okay to be part of, and where they need to be different. It might be easy for us to look back on them and say, crikey, they got it wrong, and that was a really easy one, wasn't it? But I wonder, 
if the Christians from Thyatira were here today, I wonder what they would look on and say about us. I wonder where they would see that we have just adopted what our culture does. I wonder where they would say our blind spots are today. I wonder if it would be the content of what we watch in TV and movies. I, I, I wonder if it would be the amount of time we give over to entertainment, perhaps instead of doing good for society around it. Perhaps instead of Bible study. I wonder if it would be I wonder if it would be how we use our money. I wonder if it would be something else entirely. Part of the problem here is that, 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 that I'm in the same culture that you in that, that you're in and these are my blind spots as well as, as much as anyone else's. That's partly the point, though. It's, it's easy for us, isn't it? Isn't it? To, to, it's easy for us to look on at them, to see their blind spots, and to wonder, "Crikey, how could they miss that?" But rather than looking back in, in condemnation on them, I think what we need to do is is to ask ourselves, "What are our blind spots? Now, are there areas from today's culture that we've just adopted in, into our own lives, when instead we should have said no and stood out as different?" And of course, through, through Christian history, you've seen a lot of people uh, wrestle with this kind of question. And some people think there's an easy answer. And, and the answer is just to retreat. If we as Christians just escape into our own little kind of Christian ghettos where we just live with other Christians and um, we, we kind of just send our kids to Christian schools and we only listen to Christian radio stations and, and watch Christian movies. And well, essentially what we do is we, we put our walls up and we keep us in here nice and safe and we keep the world out there. And that's a great thing because if we do that, it means it stops us from ever becoming too much like our culture and, and too much like everyone else. But if you think about it, that can't really be the answer, can it? It might be an easy answer, but it's just it's too simplistic. Because you know, it, it's true, we're not to be like the world and like our culture in every respect, but, but we've been sent by Jesus into his world, to be on mission in his world. And if we, if we just escape to our Christian ghettos where everyone around us is Christian, then, then how can we ever be on mission in the way that Jesus has sent us to be? I don't think that's the, I don't think that's the answer to escape to Christian ghettos. He said, I think what we need to do is to keep doing real hard work in the Bible. Keep listening to God. To keep thinking God's thoughts after him. So that we can be discerning. Discerning about which parts of our culture we say yes to and, and join him with. Which parts of our culture we say no to and, and stand apart from them. And sometimes this is easy because sometimes the Bible is, is really clear for us. Like say, um, sexual immorality, oh, that's out. Uh, greed, hoarding wealth, right? that's out for us. Self-control, that's got to be in for us, even though that's, that's very countercultural these days. Self-control is in. Generosity is in. So sometimes it's easy to figure out because the Bible is really clear. Other times it's, it's much harder. Because we live in a different culture at a time when the Bible wasn't written. 
So what do we do then? Well, again, I just want to say, we need to keep doing that hard work in the Bible. And as we do, we ought to be talking about it with each other as well. We don't just study the Bible on our own, in our own little individual worlds. We study, we look at it together. That's how, that's, that's how we figure out what we join in with and where we, where we say, no, we need to be different here. Of course, there are costs involved when we say no to joining in with something that most people do. Certainly, if you think back in Thyatira, there was a cost involved there, right? Um, if you were a believer and you said no to joining a trade guild, there was a great big cost for you. But we don't make decisions on what we should or shouldn't do based on whether it's costly, do we? And we make decisions based on what we should or shouldn't do on the basis of Jesus and what honors him. Perhaps then, in, in, in light of all that, this is the question I want to leave you with, friends. As you think about the culture that we live in, and, and as you think about your own life, um, is the Spirit calling on you to say no to something? Is, it, is there part of culture that you've you just adopted and, and, and walked along with in your own life? But today, the Spirit is calling on you to say no to it so that you might live for Christ and not live like everyone else. But can I say, can I encourage us all to ponder that this week? Is there a part of, of culture that the Spirit is calling on you to say no to? And this is a very important question because this really matters. This stuff matters. It matters to Jesus. See, he wants us to be followers of him, not people who are just like the world around us. And you can see that this matters to Jesus in what he says to the four groups of people there. So firstly, I'm, I'll work through this one by one. Uh, four groups of people. Firstly, he speaks to the prophetess, the, the one known as Jezebel. And so take a look at verse 21 here. Jesus says about her, I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling, so I'll cast her on a bed of suffering. Now, we don't exactly know what's going on there. We don't know the details of what's happened, but it seems like she's been warned her teaching's not okay, and she's been given a chance to change, but she hasn't. And so Jesus says she's going to become sick and be confined to her sickbed. Then Jesus moves on to another group in verse 22. He says, And I'll make those who commit adultery with her, with, with, with Jezebel, I'll make, I'll make them suffer intensely unless they too repent of her ways. Now, this, I don't think this is meaning those who literally have slept with this woman, the prophetess. But it's talking about those who were sexually immoral because they followed her teachings. Now, there is a difference, you'll notice, between this group and, and the prophetess. This group, the ones who followed her teaching, they're given a chance to repent, which actually she was as well. But they're given a chance here to stop following her teaching, to change their ways. But Jesus says, if you don't, you'll suffer like her. And then there's the third group, verse 23. It simply says, I'll strike her children dead. Again, this isn't meaning her literal children. Uh, it, it's a reference to the people who were, were very close followers of the prophetess. 
her most eager disciples, the ones who are passing on her teaching to other people as well. Just like Jezebel, they should have learned when she was rebuked, but clearly they didn't. And so now, this. That's three groups. Before I get to the fourth group, I just wanted to pause here, though, because a lot of this stuff, let's be honest for a moment, it sounds, it sounds harsh, doesn't it? Like sickness and, and, and suffering and, and death. And also, uh, isn't tolerance supposed to be a good thing? But in verse 20, like Jesus says to the church that they shouldn't have tolerated this. They, they shouldn't be tolerant. So what's going on in this passage here? Well, firstly, let's deal with that question of tolerance. Um, can I say, yes, tolerance is a good thing, a really good thing in society, right? We ought to defend people's right to be able to believe what they want, um, even when we disagree with them. Now, we want to be able to kind of have conversations and, and try and give arguments and convince people, like, no, actually, we reckon Jesus' way is a better way, but we ought to defend people's right to believe what they want, even when we disagree with them. In that sense, tolerance is a wonderful thing. That's exactly what we want in a society. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here in this passage. Here, Jesus is talking about within the church what you tolerate. And he says, within a church, you shouldn't tolerate any teaching. Every teaching that just comes along. No, 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 no. Some things ought not to be taught and believed within a church. And we looked at this kind of stuff last week, didn't we? We saw that teachings that aren't from the Bible, we shouldn't tolerate that. Teachings that lead to sin, we shouldn't tolerate those kind of things in church. That is, we should be intolerant of certain teachings within our church life. Teachings that lead believers astray, which is exactly what's happening in Thyatira. We shouldn't tolerate this kind of thing because eternity is at stake for people here. And we don't want blood on our hands. We cannot be the cause of people getting Jesus wrong because we just tolerate any teaching that comes along. But still you might ask, doesn't this all seem a bit hard? Jesus here is saying that people are going you know, get, to get, get ill and not just kind of have a tummy bug for a couple of days, but, but be confined to their sickbed. He's talking about suffering. He's talking about dying. And what, just because people made a mistake? That's, that's over the top, isn't it? But that's the problem here. This isn't just a little mistake. I notice, maybe you're like me, friends. I notice that I can um, downplay sin in my life, especially sin that I've noticed I do. It's not that bad. It's a little mistake. It's okay. Kind of like doing a math test at school. Sorry to bring that up if you hate math, but... You know, you have to, it's not just kind of one plus two equals three, but you know when you had those math things that you had to work out, lines and lines and lines, and if you make a little mistake up the top, well, it kind of, you, you never get the right answer at the end, but at least you can still show that you were doing the right kind of thing as you work along. It's just a silly little, silly little mistake early on, right? But, but that's not what's going on here in the passage. That's not what sin is like. In the passage, think about Jezebel, this prophetess. She had been warned already. She'd been given time to change. But she kept misleading people. That's not a little mistake, is it? And no sin ever is. Friends, the way the Bible talks about sin is 
The Bible says that sin is grievous. Because at the heart of every sin is rejection of God. It's me saying, look, God, you say this, but I want to do things my way. So you can shove off, and I'm going to choose what I do. That's really the heart of sin. Sin is grievous. But notice, too, there's a purpose to all of this that Jesus is saying. This isn't, a, this isn't about Jesus kind of losing his temper and flying off the rail. It's not about Jesus being a harsh and hard judge. It's, this is about discipline. Jesus is disciplining his church so that they won't continue in sin. So look at the end of verse 23. Jesus has just spoken to these three groups of people, and he said what's going to happen, and then he says, he says this, then all the churches, after I do this, all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I'll repay each of you according to your deeds. See, Jesus does this because he wants his churches to know he sees what's going on, and it's not right. It needs to stop, and people need to repent, to change. Friends, what we're seeing here is how grievous sin is in God's eyes. He doesn't put up with it. He doesn't tolerate it. And can I say, you are here today as a Christian believer, friends, neither should we. Neither should we tolerate sin. So let me just pause and ask then, is there, is there sin in your life that you are tolerating? that you're putting up with? If so, friends, can I say, now is the time to take it to Jesus. Today is the day. Don't wait for tomorrow. Today, take it to Jesus. Remember, friends, he, he has died to win you forgiveness. And then he sent his spirit to live in you, to give you the power to repent and change. Ask his forgiveness then, friend. Ask him to work his power in you so that you can repent and resolve to no longer tolerate that sin in your life anymore. But then there's the fourth group Jesus speaks to. These are the ones he calls the rest. These are, these are the ones who haven't fallen for what the prophetess has taught. And so in verse 24, we see this, Jesus say this. He says, Now the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. But what does Jesus want for these guys? He says, no extra burden. Right? Just keep doing what you're doing. He says, hold on to what you have. That is, don't give up the gospel. Keep it front and center in your life. We're going to talk more, a little bit more about that next week. But notice too the expectation that Jesus gives here. He says, hold on to what you have until I come. Jesus is reminding them of the future. To hold on to the gospel may be hard, 
It might be costly. It might involve saying no to things that everybody else is doing, but for the believers in Thyatira, sorry, for the believers in Thyatira, that's going to make working life hard if you don't sign up to these trade guilds. It's going to mean exclusion from a really key part in life. But Jesus is coming, he says. And when he comes, look what he's going to do. Verse 26. To the one who's victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I received authority from my father. And this kind of sounds a bit funny, right? But Jesus is using the words of Psalm 2 here. Uh, Psalm 2 is all about the, the rule and the reign of God's chosen king, who we find out is Jesus. And here in Revelation 2, that's what Jesus is promising his people, right? He's saying, you're going to share my rule with me. You're not going to be excluded. You're going to have authority with me over everything. It's incredible promise. And more than that, Jesus goes on. Look at verse 28. I'll also give that one the morning star. You think, what does that mean? I'm morning star. Later on in Revelation, though, we find out that the morning star, this is Revelation 22, 16, we find out that the morning star is Jesus himself. This here is a promise that Jesus will be with his people. That they will not miss out because they will have him. Brothers and sisters, Christian believers, isn't this ultimately what you want as well? To be with Jesus. To see him face to face, to share his company and enjoy his presence forever. Isn't that what you want? Every generation of Christian believers will need to figure out where can I join in with the culture around me and where do I need to stand separate and be different? Friends, as you think about the culture that we live in today, is there something that the Spirit is calling on you to say no to? A part of our culture that you've adopted, but really you shouldn't have. Is there sin in your life that you're tolerating? Today is the day to take it to Jesus. And remember this, friend. What we're looking forward to is his presence forever. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father, our Lord and God, we thank you for this letter to the church in Thyatira. We thank you for what we learn from, from, from these words of our Lord Jesus. Please, Father, help us to know where and when to adopt things from our culture and where to say no and be different so that we can honour you. You've reminded us today that sin is grievous. Thank you for the forgiveness you give us through the Lord Jesus. Please help us repent of sin and not tolerate it. Thank you for your great promise to those of us who persevere with Jesus. Thank you for the promise of being with him forever. Teach us by your word, Father, and apply it to our hearts, not just today, not just in this moment, but for the, for the rest of the week and for our lifetimes ahead. We pray this so Christ would be honoured by our lives and we'd be known as followers of him.
We ask it in his name. Amen.